Hello and welcome to The Diff, a new podcast from the makers of Third Sector, the leading title for the charity world. I'm your host, Rihanna Dillon, and as the classic Third Sector strapline goes, this is a place where we champion the people who make a difference, and we do it by telling your stories. I talk to people who work for charities and not-for-profits, who share anecdotes, frank discussion and ideas for building a better world. And through conversations that challenge and inspire in equal measure, we explore how we can all make the difference. In the last episode, we heard how the youth charity Street Doctors empower young people affected by violence to keep themselves and others safe. In the final episode of this mini-series, we meet an organisation that champions the power of creativity and the arts in creating routes out of crime and places lived experience at the heart of its approach. Okay, so Synergy Theatre Project works across theatre and film in the criminal justice system. So we work in prisons, we do creative projects and plays, which the prisoners take part in alongside professionals. We do productions in theatres that look at themes relating to criminal justice. We do a big programme for ex-prisoners, training them in the arts and then um, referring them on to giving them opportunities to work within the organisation and beyond uh, in the creative industries. And then we have a big young people's programme, which is really focused around crime prevention and creative engagement for young people, particularly those who are at risk of offending. This is Esther Baker, the Artistic Director of the Synergy Theatre Project, a charity that creates groundbreaking work across theatre and the criminal justice system. So it's founded more than two decades ago and the charity is built on the belief that theatre can be transformative, can change perceptions and it can open up new possibilities towards a more positive future. I'd been working in prisons for about seven years before that. Basically, I was doing lots of great work in prisons, started teaching GCSE and A-level and was seeing all these great impacts on people. But then I really wanted to work with people when they came out of prison because, you know, they'd go out and you didn't know what, what they were going to. So once I started working in prisons, I saw the power of the arts to have an impact on people's lives and just wanted to build it from there, really. I think like in a prison, people's self-esteem is really low usually and I think um, it can really build up confidence. If you start on something and you achieve a brilliant goal at the end of it, you go on stage in front of like friends, family, the prison and you do a brilliant job as part of a team, I think that can be very powerful. At the heart of Synergy's work lies the energy and the life experiences of the people it supports. Prisoners, ex-prisoners, young offenders and young people at risk of offending. And in the last five years alone, the charity has worked with more than 700 prisoners and ex-offenders. And every year it commissions a play or a film about young people and crime written by a professional writer and performed by ex-prisoners. We talk to young people about what they think the issues are. We talk to partners in youth organisations, pupil referral unit schools about what they're worried about. But we've done plays about knife crime, social media and how it can escalate violence, the impulse for revenge, county lines. So we commission plays by professional writers and then those plays are performed by a mixture of ex-prisoners and professionals. And then we tour those and we 
talk to young people afterwards about the themes. We run workshops and creative response projects with young people, particularly those who are at risk. So we go to schools in areas of deprivation. We do a lot of work in pupil referral units and we work in young offenders' prisons. Why would Andre be jealous of Yusuf? If I was with him and another guy approached me, Yusuf would try summoning a spirit. <laughs> He said he wanted me even more because he knew other boys wanted me too. He even said he would kill to have me to himself. I just want him to want me like that again. I'd rather have a boy that loves anime than a boy who jokes about killing. So my play He Said, She Said is a common tale, a tale of miscommunication between news through social media, through word of mouth and sort of it highlights how easily that miscommunication and the peer pressures around them can escalate into violence in real life. So it contains four, consists of four characters. Uh, there's a love interest. There's a failed, an unrequinted love interest, I guess I'd say. Um, and through a want or somewhat of a need for attention, for that affection, and also for validation, of his peers, uh, one of the characters makes a fatal decision, not for himself, but for another character to brandish a knife on Snapchat, which then escalated the situation into violence with dire consequences. This is Maguero Oteneo Maguero, a spoken word poet and writer of Synergy's most recent play, He Said, She Said, which looked at the role of social media in knife crime. Honestly, it doesn't get much better than this. Me, chilling with Kayla, taking a pic. She could have any guy she wants, like literally take a pic. Then this guy comes over and starts taking the piss. I recognise him. He's one of Andre's ops. I remember Dre saying, when I catch him, he's getting dropped. But why is he filming? Throwing gang signs and cheap shots. Then this guy comes over and starts giving me props. He's like, yo, fam, is that you, yeah? And I'm like, yeah, fam. Because it is to be fair, I've got my arm around Kayla. You think she's my girl? If that video gets out, it could ruin my world. He starts claiming that me and Yusuf are beaten. Like literally trying to tell Andre I'm cheating. Now I'm thinking Yusuf will say it's not true. Yeah, I just spud him in it. Like what am I supposed to do? Then Kayla starts acting all weird and upset, proper vexed. I don't know, is it something I said? The guy tells us to calm down and I'm like, yeah, calm down. Don't tell me to calm down. You're so fake, man, don't chat to me. In his partnership with Synergy, Maguero works both in prisons and in pupil referral units, or PRUs, which are education centres for children that have been excluded from mainstream education for reasons that can include severe behavioural problems, special educational needs, or suffering from short or long-term illnesses that make traditional school environments unsuitable. We asked him about what he sees as the biggest challenges the young people he works with are dealing with today. I would say the different influences that they face. A lot of the times there are difficulties at home. It's a common theme. Um, sometimes they don't have an avenue to express those difficulties. So it just leads to disruption in schools and that leads to suspension, which leads to them having that reproach on themselves. So it's almost like a cycle. I think sometimes it isn't difficult at home. Sometimes it's a double life. There's the influence that you have within your household, there's the influence that you have once you leave. And we can't always control what influences more. I think 
what we can do is parents and schools working together to address some of these instances and some of these cases and the dangers. I had an incident, not an incident, but a situation just yesterday where we were sharing, so I do this thing called if, what, why, but, which is basically I give a scenario, if this happened, what would you do? Why would you do it? But what's the alternative? So I changed the scenario and made it personal. And we, we were to speak about a decision that we made. So I said, I made the decision to come in to work with you guys today. The why was because I'm passionate about spoken word and passionate about getting ideas from them. I said, but sometimes when it doesn't go well and I've planned it, it does affect me personally when I get home and I think about what I could have done better. And one of the kids said, don't be hard on yourself. This is, he said the name of the crew. And he said, you're only going to get so much out of people here. And... It was touching for him to say that, but at the same time, it was a almost an internal viewing that he's only capable of so much. So we're so used to not paying attention or not um, being able to fulfill the tasks we've been given. And so that's sort of a reproachment that they have on themselves. For Maguero and the team at Synergy, working closely with offenders and those at risk of offending shows the many ways in which these negative influences can contribute to the cycles of violence that so many find themselves trapped in. There are no winners in He Said, She Said. In the climactic monologue of the play, the audience hears about the layers of trauma experienced by Andre, a character who is positioned as an antagonist throughout the story, and how they influence his actions. When I was eight, my dad got arrested. The violence he specialised in was domestic, but I wouldn't do that. Kayla knew that. <laughs> you know, it was me that called the police on my dad the same night he got bagged. And my mum blamed me for losing him. After everything he did, she was still choosing him. So she upped and left. Left me and my nan, abandoned. My nan raised me to be the man that I am and I love her to death. I hope she understands, but my only real fan was my gang. So when this use of you started talking shit, I couldn't let that slide. I couldn't let that slip. In front of all my guys, it made me look like a prick. I was losing the stripes that I earned on the strip. The man never said I couldn't roll if I let the disrespect go. And without them, For the people and organisations working on the front line of the knife crime epidemic, there is no easy solution for ending the violence. Our first episode was recorded in the immediate wake of the tragic stabbing of Eliane Adnan. She was the 15th teenage victim of homicide in London so far this year. And when we visited Synergy's Brixton offices, the candles were still burning at a memorial site for 22-year-old Keelan Morris Wong, who was stabbed to death just a few minutes' walk down the road from their building. In the face of a seemingly insurmountable crisis, we asked Maguero how he maintains hope. I find hope through the small glimpses, I think. Knife crime isn't something new. It's been around for a long time. It was a problem when I was young. I remember Damalola Taylor's killing in Peckham, where I lived at the time. I think what we can do is 
make a subtle impact, whether it's one child who feels like I don't need to carry a knife, that's hope. One person who takes part in, in a workshop and actually feels like I'm good at this, that could actually be something I could have a pathway in, you know. I don't have to go through this path that has seemed to be set for me since I was in elementary school when they were, I was told that I'm disruptive or I'm stupid or all of these all of these words that they've been told whether they were young whether they were at home or in school for them to look at themselves even for a moment and feel like I can do this I can be good at something else I can be more it's hope it's hope and I think it's important that we understand even perpetrators in knife crime are still young people I think that's important because someone can commit a heinous crime and immediately the fingers pointed you're a criminal you're bad throw the book at him Everybody has a story. The idea that everyone has a story that deserves telling is a core pillar of Synergy's approach to rehabilitation. And the charity has provided time and again the effectiveness of its work in making the difference to individuals. And as well as harnessing the energy of people moving through the criminal justice system to create art, Synergy also invests in bringing them into employment and professional work. Here's Esther. I think the other impacts that we work on are actually about transferable skills, social skills, communication skills. It's also about creating opportunities. So we do a lot of work about pathways into the creative industries. We've got a lot of ex-prisoners that are now working in the creative industries as facilitators, as actors, writers, in film and TV behind the scenes. So, you know, people that never thought they could work in those industries, we're like a bridge organisation working with other organisations and referring them and supporting them into those opportunities. And members of Synergy's team also have lived experience of the criminal justice system. Here's Carl Smith, the Learning and Engagement Assistant for Synergy's Adults Programme. So um, I grew up in South London, grew up in the Brixton area, lived in Brixton area my whole life. And um, I was heavily involved in crime and, and gang activity from a young age. I came from a family of people who were involved in crime. My dad, my granddad, my uncles, everyone around me was crime orientated. So lots of things that to a normal average person and like I like to think now to my kids things that are foreign to them things that are just you wouldn't even do it to me it was just like that's normal you know so I grew up with a, a look outlook on life that was like certain things you do because you have to and you do them and they're they're, they're validated so um unfortunately when I was 18 um I, I stabbed somebody in um, a gang fight for the grace of god the person survived which obviously I'm incredibly thankful for um, and I went to prison for eight years for it. Um, so in 2009, while serving my prison sentence, I saw Esther walking on the wing. And in prison, you don't really see anybody who... Everybody looks the same in prison, either in a uniform or they're a prisoner. So when you see people walking on the wing, you clearly see they're not from here. And they look, you, you're always interested because, you know, you're very um, stagnant in prison. It's all just the same world. So anything from outside is interesting and intriguing. She was wearing all white 
And she, I mean, she's blonde haired and she's walking in the room. She's like, who's this lady? And he's like, excuse me, who are you? And she's like, and it was just, it was, if you met, ever met Esther, I suppose, Esther, you know, Esther's very much just, she says it how it is. And she was just very open and honest with me. She said, I'm doing a play about, you know, inner city gang in London, but I need some black gang members. She said, I've only got Polish people signed up. And she was like, that level of so, I was like, are oh, you just refreshing? You know, because there's many, what I would have perceived at the time to be a middle-class white woman who wouldn't have said that to me as a black male. Wouldn't have just come out and said something like that. But it was just, you're just being, because there's, there's nothing malice behind it. Esther said she was putting on a play and I was like, oh yeah. Because when I was young, I really loved the arts, but I used to have to hide it because I grew up, I grew up in, as I said, in Brixton in a very heavily driven masculine, toxic masculine Caribbean community. Whereas if I was to say to my friends, I was going to a museum on a Saturday, they didn't say you're gay. You like men, and so it was always that shame growing up. As this isn't something I can talk about, like, but it was something I always enjoyed and really loved. I mean, my my first experience was I got taught to see Lab OM at the Royal Opera House, and I just fell in love with everything to do with performance from then. So when Esther said that she was there to do a, a theatre production, I was like, I really want to be involved. I said, I'll, I'll come down and help move some stuff about. I'm doing backstage. And I went down on the first day, we did like the read through, but there was obviously on the first day in, in, in the play, there was two female roles. It was Esther and like 30 men in the room and nobody wanted to read the other female part. Everyone was being matched. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I said, oh, you know what? I'll do it. I'll read it. And at the end of the read through, Esther said to me, you're in the play. And I said, I don't want to be since you are going to be in the play. And so <clears throat> from there, that's how I got involved. Um, Esther actually gave me the role of a police officer, which went down even better in the prison. I get I got called Officer Smithy and McNulty from the wire for the next three years. Which was really, really interesting, but all in good jest, you know, it was all, all, all good fun because the response to stuff like Watson, and I can say this from both sides, from being somebody who was inside as a prisoner and feeling the response for myself taking part and for the rest of the people in the prison, it just had a, a way to just lift the prison for a few weeks. It made everybody feel that a little bit better, you know, and just, you know, that, that something from outside and people celebrate other people's creativity and celebrate other people's achievements in prison sometimes more than you might actually see in the outside world because we're all so stuck and in there together that when people see anybody achieve something, it's like kind of like we all kind of won. So yeah, so that's how I got involved and it was like the first time honestly in my life when I was um, complimented for something I did good and felt comfortable taking the compliment because up until then I'd always assumed I was the bad guy. And the successes of Synergy's work are evident in the numbers. As a result of taking part in Synergy's programmes, many break the cycle of offending. Some people have engaged with further arts projects, some have gained degrees or been seed commissioned and had their writing produced. Others are working as drama workshop facilitators, stage managers as well in a range of TV and film production roles and across the creative industries. Biding plays or films or creative projects, you get to explore the world, you get to explore other characters, you get to see different points of view. And I think seeing from different points of view can challenge how you see the world. I think self-narrative can be challenged as well. If you've always seen yourself as a criminal and suddenly you're treated as an actor and you think, oh, I could do something else. I think that can be really powerful. Of more than 2,600 children and young people that the charity has worked with in the past five years, 
80% have reported a changed attitude towards crime. I often speak about being bruised with a purpose or wounded with a purpose. And I think sometimes when we bear scars, within those scars hold the roots to our avenue away from them and to our healing. And I think if we use those experiences and our strength as our strength and as their strength, then as long as they try, there is no way they can fail. As long as they try and they believe that there is something on the other side. And of the 757 prisoners and ex-prisoners that Synergy has worked with in the last five years, 97% have not re-offended and 59% have gone on to further training and employment. I basically meet, say, 80 to 90% of all new participants. I meet first, interview them before they start to come to do, like, courses with us. I mean, we have to say to them straight away, yeah, I know what it's like having a probation officer. I know what that's like. It instantly breaks down a barrier because we have so many perceived barriers. We're coming from a life of crime. We're coming from that, you know, somewhat you might see as the part of society that's ostracised to a certain extent. We're, we're an outcast through our own doings, but also it's like feeling there's someone else, oh, you understand some of my problems, instantly gives an opportunity for people to feel comfortable. And also for them to see that me here working at Sinjin, I can tell them my story. I spent a long time in prison and I'm now out working and basically helping run a, a, a whole department within the, in the company. We've got some amazing stories. Like some of our ex-prisoners are doing so well. Like we had a guy, I met him in Brixton Prison in 2011. And in 2020, he won Best Actor at the Black British Theatre Awards. And he's one of our facilitators working with young people. That was amazing. Another guy's just been nominated for Best Producer at the Black British Theatre Awards this year, um, which is fantastic. You know, we've got people working as writers, people working in TV. Two ex-prisoners are on our board of trustees. One's like a film producer now. So, you know... They need chances. People need second chances. People believe in you is a massive, massive thing. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I can say stood out for me about Esther from day one and, and the ethos within the company all the way through is that we care about the person and the people we're working with first. So, because my, my, one of my biggest fears of all the things I've done in life was when I had to call Esther and Jenny and say, I've re-offended. I didn't want to make that phone call. I was so scared more scared than calling and telling my family I'd been back in, I was back in prison because I realised how much belief they'd put in me and it was in them still saying, it's fine, doesn't matter, I'm still here for you. It was like, oh my God, you are going to show me what human nature is actually supposed to be. Give people another chance. That was Esther Baker, Maguero Oteneo Maguero and Carl Smith from the Synergy Theatre Project. Even people who have not been directly impacted by a case of knife crime or youth violence are likely to have had their public consciousness shaped at one time or another by a stabbing. From Stephen Lawrence to Ben Kinsella, Damalola Taylor to Eliane Adnan. Our conversations this week have given just a glimpse of how complicated this violent epidemic is. It's rooted in poverty, trauma, social inequality, anger, failings in public health social services, and so much more. But we've also heard that it is possible to change things for the better. 
by building connections, creating art, equipping people with practical skills and knowledge, empowering young people by legitimising and validating their experiences. The small charities we've spoken to this week are building, piece by piece, long-term and sustainable solutions. They're just a handful of incredible charities, social enterprises and grassroots organisations working to make the difference. So to all of you, thank you. I'm Rihanna Dillon and this has been The Diff. We hope that you're leaving us with some food for thought. And if you liked what you heard, then please share these episodes with your friends, your colleagues, your family, anyone else who might like a listen. You know, the person that you're sitting next to on the bus. We'd love to hear your feedback. Drop us a line at thirdsector@haymarket.com. And if you know anyone working in the charity sector who has a great story to tell, we want to know about them too. The creators of the diff are Till Owen, Jude Iguakun, Inga Marsden, Nav Pal, and Babajide Osikoya. It was edited by Emily Burt. And last but not least, thank you to the team at Third Sector for their support.